Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm delighted today to welcome my special guest, Professor Carl Chin, MBE, who is a historian, a writer, a broadcaster, and is known widely for his devotion to the history of Birmingham and his personal connection to the real Peaky Blinders and Carl's support for Birmingham's industrial and manufacturing heritage. So welcome to the show, Professor Chin. How are you today? I'm okay. Please call me Carl. I will do. I've been really looking forward to this uh, this podcast, Carl, for quite some time. I'm a keen follower of history and particularly anything to do with, with manufacturing. And I live in Birmingham, so it made absolute sense to uh, to get you on the show. So thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. So, Carl, ju- just to start off with, how important is manufacturing to, to Birmingham? And, and, and what does manufacturing actually mean to Brummies? I think that is the most important question when we look at the city, its history, who we were and who we are and who we could be. Because there's two constants in Birmingham's history. The boring markets, because without the markets, we couldn't have become a great town. Yeah, They brought people in. But very quickly, they brought in the Smiths, who made, according to John Leland, the first description of Birmingham in 1537, they make all manner of cotton tools. There are many Smiths in Birmingham and Lorimers who made all the bits for horses. Yeah. So manufacturing was at the at the beginning of Birmingham. It, it was the impetus for Birmingham's development, its growth, its expansion onto the world stage as a, as a city of international repute, as the toy shop of Europe, as the workshop of the world, as the city of the thousand trades. I've never worked in manufacturing, but all of my family, did. My granddad Chin was a wire drawer before he became an illegal bookmaker. My mom was a capstan operator. My nan, her mom, was a power press operator. Her dad, my granddad Perry, was a die sinker. I've got great uncles who were polishers. So I understood the importance of manufacturing. I remember going as a kid to, to meet my auntie Wynne, who was a, a great aunt. And she worked uh, at the Midland Wheel Company in Avenue Road, Aston. And she was a wheel bracer. I used to wear a, a leather apron. Yeah. And she was so swift at her job, bracing the wheels. And you'd look through the gates, you'd knock the little gate in the big, the, well, it, actually, it was a little door in a big gate. And you'd look in, it was a, an enchanting world, a different world that you saw. Yeah. So for me growing up, although I've all never worked in a factory or manufacturing, I grew up proud to be a Brummie in the city of a thousand trades. Yeah. For us, the 1980s was a disastrous decade because with the catastrophic decline of manufacturing, we went from a high wage, low unemployment city in a decade, Jeff, to a so we went from a high wage, low unemployment city in a decade to a low-wage, high-employment city. Now, that has led to problems. It's led to social problems, as it has elsewhere in the country. Yeah. It's led to economic problems. But despite that, and this is very, very important, Birmingham remains Britain's premier manufacturing city. I've just done a, a big piece in the Birmingham Mail 
today about the importance of firmings, the, oh, yes. the button badge makers, the badges, military yeah. uh, accoutrement makers on Newtown Road, Britain's oldest company, how important they were to the coronation of our late Queen and to her funeral. And I finish off with saying it's about time our council started shouting out about the achievements of our manufacturers because we never hear them do so. And it's about time that national government starts to encourage long term investments because that's what manufacturers need, not short term gimmicks. They need yeah. long term sustained investment. So for me, manufacturing is still essential for Birmingham. We have a, a plethora of really high range advanced manufacturing niche manufacturing companies i've mentioned yeah. firmins there's toy kenning and spencer there's brandauers there's Goering, oh fatterini's i could go on there's many more and we, of course we've got the the world famous uh cabris which is now mondelay great heritage there you know there's there's other sort of food manufacturing around as well you know and i, I love all of the industrial uh manufacturing the history and all of that sort of stuff but it, it's amazing how Birmingham and, and other parts of the country from a from an industrial perspective have morphed into in the main sort of high tech industries There's, we still have some of the the more dirty heavy metal bashing and casting and forging but manufacturing these days is a lot more sexy if I dare say it in a lot of the, the businesses very very technical and as you say advanced advanced engineering I think there's several things I'd like to pick up on there. First of all, the, the outer date and misnomer of metal bashing. I think we should be calling it metal forming, yep. metal fashioning, because people don't bash metal. They forge and fashion it into a thing of beauty or of utility. So I would like to really ban, prescribe, expunge from our vocabulary <laughs> the word, the phrase metal bashing. Yeah. Secondly, Let's pick up on the advanced manufacturing because we've, we've mentioned that already. Birmingham's manufacturers, like others elsewhere, but Birmingham, I know more about, have done everything that successive national governments have wanted. They've gone high tech. They've gone niche. They've gone high skilled. They've become advanced manufacturers. Now it's about time that national governments started to recognise the validity and the importance of manufacturing. Why does manufacturing matter? For me, manufacturers on a number of levels. Not only does it add value to something, a piece of metal that is taken out of the ground that is worth nothing really until the value is added. Absolutely. So it adds value to something, but it also adds value to the economy. And importantly, it adds value to communities. It adds value socially. Where are the communities where drug taking, working class male suicide at their highest, Jeff, yeah. They're in the former manufacturing and mining districts. So we need to recognise the importance of manufacturing. We understand that we cannot go back to the days when there was huge factories like the ones that we knew in Birmingham, Lucas, GKN, GEC, etc. But there has got to be a place for manufacturing because it adds so much value in economically, socially and productively. So absolutely. Advanced manufacturing, yes, it is the way forward. And what we need to do is really get across to young people that manufacturing, engineering, those are spheres in which they could find careers, good careers. Because naturally, because of the 1980s, so many mums and dads say, don't go to manufacturing, it's finished. Well, that's a problem 
that is yeah. not manufacturing's make. It's a problem of the media and of governments, local and national, that do not shout out about our manufacturing prowess. Now, to add comfort to your other point, your first point about Cadbury, it's very important to bear in mind that when we look at manufacturing, we tend to think of metal technology now. Yeah. But food manufacturing was a major, major aspect of Birmingham's manufacturing history. Not only Cadbury. Cadbury, of course, is the best known. And like our other manufacturers, why is it important? Not only does it add value, not only does it create jobs economically and socially, is it important, but it takes our name across the world in a positive way. But if we look until just after the Second World War and more recently, HP Source should never have been allowed to leave Birmingham. Yeah. It was, was, it was appalling. Years ago? Yeah, it was appalling. It should never have been allowed to be moved. So we had HP Source. We had several breweries, Ansel's, M&B on the borders with, with Smedic. Before that, yeah. there were lots more breweries. We had Bird's Custard, was a Birmingham firm. There was lots of other food manufacturers as well. In, in Birmingham. So we need to Holbrook sauce like a Worcester, kind of Worcester sauce. Yep. So it is important, Jeff, that we open up manufacturing so it's, we doesn't restrict it to only the metal side of manufacturing, although that is preeminent. Absolutely. And it's interesting, talking about youngsters, you know, we do need more youngsters coming into, into industry. And when you think of manufacturing or engineering, you're absolutely right. People automatically think of metal or plastics or electronics but um it's not just the careers out on the shop floor you know people can go into project management or quality or sales yeah. um you know design there's lots of different facets marketing HR yeah absolutely and it, so that in itself creates a lot of variety whereas that old uh, uh, impression of a manufacturing company is oh it's it's in a factory it's just making stuff and the other thing is to bear in mind is that manufacturers do not operate in just a manufacturing bubble Absolutely. most of the big service industries in birmingham emerged because they served manufacturers yeah so banks in birmingham lloyd's bank started by a family that was involved two families that were involved in industry john taylor the bromage and button king and samson lloyd whose family had the mill in Birmingham, the metal working mill in Birmingham. From then, we had the Midland Bank, which was started, yes, by a Bank of England, former Bank of England employee, Charles Geach, but which brought together lots of manufacturers on its board. One of the oldest families involved in the legal profession is the Martinus of Birmingham. But yep, they started yep. out as manufacturers. So we mustn't just see them as separate. Service industries, manufacturing, banking, they're interdependent, and we've forgotten that to our peril. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a, a, a hive of, of activity these days. You know, history is fantastic, but there's a lot of good stuff going on in and around Birmingham. And I, I often think, you know, if, if, if I was a, you know, maybe an overseas uh, business, you know, considering opening a manufacturing hub in the UK, you know, what, what makes Birmingham and the wider West Midlands you know, such a compelling location for, for inward investment. Well, I think if we need to look at a number of things. First of all, is the tradition of manufacturing. Yeah. Secondly, is our communications network. Matthew Bolton recognised that when he encouraged the cutting of canals. That we're in the middle of England, but that's no good if you haven't got the means of communication, of transportation. 
to yeah. the ports. So we've got Birmingham International Airport, we've got the motorways, and we actually need a lot more investment in the infrastructure with Birmingham and Black, the Black Country. I know we're spending a lot of money on, 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 on tramways within Birmingham City yes. Centre. For me, I would be spending the money on the connections between Birmingham and the Black Country and the wide West Midlands. It, you know, Birmingham City Centre is a small place yeah. for a city of a million people. Yeah. We don't need that much spent on moving around it. We need... The problem is getting into Birmingham. But be that as it may, coming back to your question, the fact is that we've got a tradition of manufacturing, we've got good communications networks, we have a skilled and motivated workforce, yep. we have abilities and determination. What we really need now is local and national governments to back us. Absolutely. And that's that's something that uh, a number of the people in my network are, you know, just charging for. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of talk for... You know, we, we need a, a minister for manufacturing. We, we, need, in, we need investment, That we need support. Um, there's quite a lot happening, but it doesn't seem to happen quick enough. You know, no, it always seems I, to be that's, that's a priorities. Problem. Everything else is short term. But yeah. when it comes to manufacturing, oh, it's pushed down the road. Now, you mentioned a minister for manufacturing. I know there's a, 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 a lady on LinkedIn, isn't she? Andrew Wilson. Yeah. What a great job she's doing. Yeah. There, there should be a minister for, for manufacturing. There should also be encouragement for investment, as I mentioned earlier on, for manufacturing. We should also be getting the message out educationally about the importance of manufacturing, because we've, we've pushed very hard the academic side of higher education, but we haven't pushed the technical and manufacturing side, and they should be as valued. I, I see myself as a skilled man. Yep. No better no worse than another skilled man. I've got my apprenticeship, which was my degree, and then my doctor's, my PhD, my thesis. But I'm, I'm a skilled worker. Now, a lot of my former colleagues at university didn't like me saying that because they liked to have this distinction between middle-class professionals and working-class skilled yeah. workers. Yeah. Well, I'm proud to be a skilled worker. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear it. So I, I know that you know, Birmingham's history over recent years has been getting some, you know, high levels of interest for, from the new, newer generations, the youngsters uh, and a wider audience. Um, and in particular, you know, on the international um, stage due to the, the success of the Peaky Blinders TV series. Now, I know that you've got a, a direct personal connection to the true story of the Peaky Blinders. And, and that led you to write some some books on the topic. So. Can you, can you just tell me about your, your what that personal connection is, Carl, and why you've yeah. got such a passion for that story? Yeah, I can. And I think it's very important that, first of all, that we set the scene, Jeff, if I may, that the series, for all its power, its vitality, its popularity, is, is drama. The reality was very different. First of all, there were no Peaky Blinders in 1920s Birmingham. There was not one gang called the Peaky Blinders. There wasn't one family called the Shelby's at the heart of one gang called the Peaky Blinders. And they did not fight with disposable safety razor blades stitching to the peaks of their caps. The real Peaky Blinders, it was the generic term for the hooligans, the backstreet folks of Birmingham yeah. of the 1890s, early 20th century, who belonged to numerous slugging gangs, slugging from fighting powerful blows, who were poorer men, most of whom were labourers, young men, teenagers, into men into the 20s, 30s and 40s, Many of them were, were hard workers, but they liked fighting. They fought with their buckle belts, with knives, with brick ends, with stones. 
and Koshies. And others were petty criminals, one of whom was my great-grandfather, Edward Derry, who was a real Peaky Blinder. Unlike the fictional Shelbys, he and the other Peaky Blinders were not glamorous, charismatic, handsome anti-heroes. My great-grandfather was five foot four. His face is ridden with fighting, boozing and criminality by the age of 26. Yeah. He was a petty criminal. On one occasion, he stole a side of bacon from outside of Paul Butchers on the Ladypool Road down Sparbrook. He attacked the police. He was sent down for that attack. On another occasion, he was fighting with a man, hit him over the head with a shovel. When that didn't stop the fight, he picked up a meat cleaver and cleaved it into the man's head. Luckily, the man survived. He only got uh, three years in prison. Crikey. But the worst thing he did was he regularly abused my great-grandmother who was so scared of him coming home drunk that when she heard him, if she could hear him in time, she'd run and hide in what was known as the Brewers, the communal washouts. So enjoyed the series, but realised that the series is not reality. It's yep. drama. And gangsters are not mafia-style dons, as they've been portrayed so much on TV and in films, who are men, who are kind to children, courteous to women and look after old people no they're not they prey upon their own yeah so have you got any other uh, uh, sort of plans for further books i know you, you've done what two already i've done three on the peaky blinders series you've done three yeah the first one was called peaky blinders the, the the real story which looked at what i've just been talking about yeah the second book which is really the real the real peaky blinders the second book looked at how some peaky blinders led by the real billy kimber who was a Brummie, not a Londoner, as shown in the series, formed England's first major semi-organised gang of criminals who preyed upon bookmakers on racecourses in the Midlands of the North, yeah. forced them to pay protection money and were pickpockets. And in 1921-2021, they took over the racecourse brackets in the south of England. That led to a war with the Anglo-Italian Sabini Gang of London, and England's first major gang war between gangs from two different cities. So my second book, Peaky Blinders, The Legacy, looks at what happened then. And yeah. my last, latest book, The Aftermath, looks at the paradox that the Birmingham gang, which was the first major gang in England, of men, mostly men who had been Peaky Blinders, but now have become professional criminals, mm. disappeared by 1939, whereas the Sabini gang continued in London by extortion of nightclub owners in Soho and shop owners, uh, publicans, etc., in their own heartlands of Clerkenwell and King's Cross. And yet how the Sabini gang, by contrast to the Birmingham gang, not only didn't disappear, but became the prototype for later London gangs. A lot of history there. Uh, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've clearly got a, a real passion for for history and there's that personal connection as well so thanks very much for sharing that you're welcome um, we met, mentioned um you know some of the old really large employers you know manufacturing wise in and around birmingham back in the day i was actually driving past longbridge at the weekend uh the location of the, the old rover factory uh, i was on my way to the the licky hills uh country park with my son to get out into into nature and just uh chill out for a couple of hours on a walk and I was explaining to, to Chris in the car you know where, where we were going past 
Longbridge where Rover used to be you know it was a huge sprawling site I was just trying to explain the actual scale of the of, of the plants and um I, I know that you you backed the campaign to save Longbridge didn't you but uh back in I think it was 2000 yeah 2000 the campaign was a a really interesting one and almost unique in that it brought together shop stewards yeah trade union officials local politicians of all political persuasions and the public and i was very honored to be involved uh, one of the shop stewards carl lanchester remains probably one of my two three best mates well not probably certainly one of yeah. my three best mates i was very proud to be involved and march with the rover workers fighting for jobs people have said to us well given the fact that it closed down a few years later did you pick the wrong horse no we didn't there were two options on the table well three options closure which would have been a disaster for the West Midlands. Secondly, there was another proposal which would have led to a huge mass of redundancies and yeah. which would have been, a, again, disastrous for the supply chain. Or there was the bid that we supported that saved most of the jobs and allowed the supply chain to diversify. Yeah. That was very important. So we did three things by saving the company. One, a lot of men and women had well-paid jobs for a few more years. Others took redundancy and found other work. And three, the supply chain were able to diversify. So at the time, you can only work with what you've got in front of you. There yeah. was only one option to save, to do what we did. Amongst many of the people I was involved with, former workers, there's a fear, real feeling of betrayal at the loss yeah. and I think that's a sense of betrayal that is shared by the Alston workers who used to make the Pendolino in Westwood yep. Heath in Birmingham yep. I was proud to march with them in Paris that government did not intervene to support them in the same way that French and Italian and Spanish governments did uh, same with HB Source I was proud yeah. to march with the HB Source workers I think there's a real problem that we've got in Britain that political leadership fails to support the jobs of working class people. And not only with the working class, obviously there's managerial jobs at stake, but it seems that if it's to do with banks, they'll jump in straight away. I was going to just say that. is just as important in our opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you know, we, we, the, the banks were bailed out, or some of the banks were bailed out back in the, you know, the Great Recession, weren't they, yeah. uh, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. And, as you say, when it comes to industry, it's always it's it's the poor relation. So, um, so we all recently experienced that you know the very sad loss of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Um, you were awarded an MBE in two thousand and one by the Queen yeah. for services to local history and charity. I mean, wow, what what was that like Me meeting Her Majesty? I mean, I, I've got to ask. I mean, this podcast is about manufacturing, but I, I, I can't let that. Oh, one what, go. what was wonderful when I arrived there? The gates were fashioned by the Bromsgrove Guild. Oh, brilliant. A Buckingham Palace. Yeah, the guards yeah. on show were wearing buttons made by Fermins of Newtown Row. Yeah. Um, my mum and dad were both very proud backstreet brummies. Our mum come out of Whitehouse Street, Aston, the old man from Studley Street and Alfred Street, Sparkbrook. So for me to be awarded the MBE, they, they were in what we would have said the old phrase was, they were in their oil tops. They were really very happy and proud. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Kay, made a really good point when I had received the letter and I was able to go public, was that in, in many respects, this award was not just mine. It was for 
the people that I belong to. Yeah. And I later found out that there'd been lots of petitions sent in. Uh, my, my award was gained not through political will, but through John Major brought in the people's uh, that ordinary people could write in or send petitions in. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and mine was one of those. So that made me a lot prouder that it wasn't put forward by a political body or yeah. an official body. And so when I was able to go public, what, what I did was um, I announced on my radio show I was going to have a drink in the old crowd in Delhi 10, anybody wants to join me. And loads of people turned up. The Birmingham Irish Pipe and Drums turned up. And it was a, a great occasion because I wanted to share it. Yeah, because I yeah. felt it wasn't just mine, it was for all the people that have helped me, supported me as well. Giving something back to the community. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so um, you mentioned the old crane. Uh, I know uh, I wasn't able to make your, your talk on the Peaky Blinders, the old crane, a few weeks ago, but you're, you're doing a talk in December that I've managed to get three tickets for, for my wife and son Love and that. myself. Uh, this, this is a, a, a Christmas talk um would it be fair to say it, it, it would have a sort of almost like a dickensian sort of i think that would be a really good <laughs> people don't realize that charles dickens which i'll be discussing on the evening yeah they're very close by with Birmingham. so i'm okay. not going to tell you no more i know you're digging <laughs> you can pack it up there you can put your shovel away uh, no close bond with birmingham christmas and dickens very close bond with Birmingham. We all know that the idea of a traditional Christmas is a Dickensian Christmas. Yeah. That has a lot to do with Birmingham as well. So the talk is an illustrated talk in called Dickens, Christmas and Birmingham. And it's going to be just across the road from the old crown in the old library, which was opened in 1867 as a free library owned by the municipality of Birmingham to provide facilities for its people. And that then was one of the poorest parts of Birmingham. Yeah. And it's a beautiful building inside, Jeff. And I'll tell people on the night a little bit about its history as well. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to that. So just before we sort of start wrapping up the podcast, Carl, let's let's just flip back to one thing that's constantly on my mind at the moment. We mentioned this this campaign for a, a minister for manufacturing. Yeah. You are clearly so passionate about it and, and passionate about what manufacturing means uh, as a Brummie and, and to the region. So if, if you were to, or if I was to ask you to come up with a slogan or a rallying cry, if you like, to encourage the councils and, and national government to support UK manufacturing today, what, what would you say? Manufacturing matters. There you go. Two words. Boom. How's that? <laughs> That's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. Or, or manufacturing adding value. There you go. Well, let's throw those out there. We'll, I'm sure that will uh, prompt some discussion. And just before we finish, Jeff, I can say it's really important that whilst I'll be talking a lot about Birmingham and touching on the black country, that there's Leeds and there's the Northwest, there's parts, of, uh, other parts of the country where manufacturing matters as well. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I send my very best to all those places that are pushing forward Britain still as a major manufacturing country. It has, absolutely. But you and I both live in Birmingham, so uh, yeah, naturally we're going to be focusing on our uh, on our backyard. So, Carl, it's been a pleasure to uh, to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope uh, hope you've enjoyed our discussion. I look forward to uh, to seeing you in December at your Christmas talk. Hope the audience has enjoyed it. Let's uh, look forward to the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. See you next time and bye bye.